Welcome to Rast Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture and sustainable food production. Brought to you by Rastec, the premier publication for Rast professionals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rast Talk. This is your host, Marilyn de Guzman, and joining me again is co-host Brian Vinci. Hello, Brian. Hello, Marilyn. How are you? I'm good. We're finally enjoying some beautiful sunshine here where I'm from this part of the world, uh, warmer temperatures. How about you? Same here. Uh, it's getting hot and humid outside the nation's capital. Um, I wanted to commend you on a really nice uh, podcast last episode about women in recirculation aquaculture systems. And um, I hope our listeners had a chance to listen to that one and, and hear about some of the issues and opportunities for women in RAS. Yes, absolutely. That was really an interesting conversation and really eye-opening for me as well. So guys, if you haven't listened to that episode yet or uh, other episodes of Rastalk, you can check them out online at rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. So we're still in the middle of a global pandemic, but at least in some parts of the world, things seem to be starting to get back to some type of normalcy. You know, certainly some businesses have opened up here in Ontario, but physical distancing is still the norm. Same here, but it's good to see in the uh, RAS industry that we have some farms making progress. I saw this past month of May that Aquaco, the Pompano farm in Florida that is land-based, has started their first harvest. And uh, that's a great milestone for Joe and the team at Aquaco, and uh, especially difficult, I'm sure, during the the global pandemic. But um, looking forward to see how they develop in the coming years. Yeah, that's that's it's good to see some of these uh, good news coming out of the sector despite the the pandemic and this, the challenges that's brought on by uh, by this global pandemic. And you know certainly coping with this new business reality I guess is one of the things we're going to talk about today. Yep. Um, with our guests from Ideal Fish. Ideal Fish is a RAS producer of Branzino based in Waterbury, Connecticut in the US. So we're glad to be joined to, uh, today by Eric Pedersen the president and CEO of Ideal Fish, and James McKnight, the company's sales and marketing director. Welcome to Rastalk, Eric and James. Thank you, Marilyn. It's great It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. It's great. Thank you, Marilyn. Good to be here. Well, welcome to you guys. Uh, we're fortunate to have you um, pull you away from the day-to-day and talk about Ideal Fish. And really, I think our listeners would love to hear about the Ideal Fish story, Eric, um, going back to uh, you growing fish in your basement. So if you wouldn't mind kind of taking us back there and, and bringing us to today. <laughs> so uh, the, um, the ideal fish story is also, Brian, as you probably recall, very intertwined with the aquaculture innovation workshops that you worked you know, uh, so hard on over the years. But um, it was uh, about at the time that you were having one in uh, Shepherdstown, West Virginia, that I had developed an interest in, in uh, recirculating aquaculture. My background is primarily Wall Street and finance, but I uh, got pretty tired of that and wanted to find something that you know I thought would resonate more with you know some of my interests in uh, in in fish and fishing and food and mm-hmm. um, and had been working uh, you know uh, in a development stage water filtration company way out in Colorado and really wanted to find something that was more local to where I live. And, uh, and, and yeah, it was around 2013 or so that I came across recirculating aquaculture, thinking that this was going to be, you know, such uh, such a huge and uh, robust industry already because it, you know, it really checked so many important boxes uh, from sustainability to 
you know, being able to provide fish locally into the community that you know, surrounds the facility to freedom from, uh, you know, a lot of the chemical and, uh, and therapeutic additives that are required in factory farm production. Um, and was very surprised to find out that it's actually a very young industry, particularly here in the United States, just getting started. But, you know, attending this uh, Aquaculture Innovations Workshop uh, back in 2013 was really a pivotal moment for me. I came across a lot of, you know, like-minded uh, from academicians all the way to, to operators. And that helped me kind of piece together the beginnings of a business plan. Um, our facility manager, whose name is Joe McElwee, uh, was there as well. He was working at Pantera at the time. And, uh, and that was actually uh, a really critical introduction for me because Pantera actually ended up providing a lot of the capital to get uh, our facility uh, designed and built three years later. So, yeah, so um, I had been uh, experimenting with aquaculture in my basement. Uh, I had a couple of 400-gallon poly tanks down there. I was mixing up my own seawater and um, at that time was able to get Bronzino fingerlings from a hatchery up in uh, Maine, actually in New Hampshire. And I brought down, uh, you know, 400 of them and stuck them in my two tanks and began uh, the process of learning how to grow Bronzino in a recirculating system, albeit one that I made myself. And, you know, this was of some consternation, delight to my children and some consternation to my wife, um, who really was wondering what her husband was up to and, and why he was spending as much time in the basement uh, as he was, and, and, and why he was talking about giving up, you know, a potentially lucrative career, you know, running other early stage, uh, uh, you know, water filtration companies for, uh, for, for an aquaculture career. Eric, you you have to work that into every story because it's a story that I tell all the time that that I'd, ideal fish started in your in your basement and your uh, very successful doctor wife wanted to know what the heck you were doing. And, uh, he was very, very troubled by the whole thing, to be honest with you. But uh, particularly as various implements around the kitchen began mysteriously disappearing, only to reappear on the top of homemade foam fractionators and solid settling units and I think she missed, missed her salad bowl for, for about two months until she finally found it on top of, um, you know, one of my filtration, uh, homemade pieces of filtration equipment. So, uh, but she came around, Brian, and uh, pretty soon she was leading the dinner party ex expositions down into the basement and <laughs> going off the system and the cute little fish and, and talking about how eccentric her husband had become as, as, it, as, you know, as I began moving down the process of actually trying to, to raise money for the uh, facility. And, and in all honesty, having a basement farm uh, did did differentiate me a little bit from, you know, all of the other kind of would-be entrepreneurs that were trying are trying to you know get get a toehold into the industry. Um, I at least was doing it, albeit on a micro scale, and uh, you know had a little bit to say about it. So so it was a it was a humble beginning, but it was one that was helpful for me to you know begin to piece together my thoughts around how to build out a larger business and. Uh, and in many ways, Brian, it all began at that, um, you know, Aquaculture Innovations Workshop uh, that you hosted in your hometown uh, six years ago in 2013. So, well, that's that's great to hear that the AIW uh, had such a, a positive impact uh, on you and, and the start of Ideal Fish. You did mention uh, that motivating factors for starting the business um, uh, are, are many of those that we hear being thrown around now, local food or local businesses, 
uh, no antibiotics, no harsh chemicals. Um, all of those things are, are definitely hot topics and buzzwords for the industry now as, as the U.S. sees investment in the land-based sector from companies overseas, companies like um, Atlantic Sapphire with Norwegian entrepreneurs or Nordic Aqua Farms in, in Maine with uh, also with Norwegian entrepreneurs. So, so I think those things rang true back in, in 2013 and they, they continue today. Uh, but you've really, uh, in my opinion, shown the promise of those things because yeah, they helped you motivate your business plan, but then you've also uh, turned those into a real business. I guess one of the things would be interesting for folks to hear, which is how did your technology provider uh, come into the picture because they did have such a, a big uh, part of the project. You know, you mentioned Joe McElwee with Pentair back in 2013, but how did they actually partner with you on this? So the connection I had with Pentair, Brian, it was that um, I, in a former life, I was working at GE in their water filtration department. And uh, I was working with a membranes uh, scientist there that was working, you know, that was developing water fil filtration membranes for uh, for General Electric, and he left and joined Pentair uh, around 2012. And it was about that time that I read an article that was talking about how Pentair was looking at entering the, the land-based aquaculture space. Pentair is uh, a large you know, maker and marketer of uh, pool and spa, water filtration and conveyance equipment, and I think uh, correctly felt that you know, aquaculture, land-based aquaculture could be a great growth platform uh, for their technologies and their, uh, their equipment. And, um, and so I, I made a call to him and he uh, put me in touch with the guy at Pentair that was leading the charge for Pentair in uh, research aquaculture. And as I mentioned, he dispatched uh, Joe McElwee to your conference back in 2013. And I met Joe and uh, we actually agreed a lot about how we thought you could build a business in this industry that could be successful. It surprised me considerably because Joe has 30 years of experience in the aquaculture industry and I had a few months at that point. But, you know, it's all about building a network and developing a village uh, and an ecosystem around any entrepreneurial venture. And, you know, James uh, joined the, the force not long after and uh, brought, you know, a, just a heap of, you know, seafood sales and distribution experience um, and has made, you know, enormous contributions to the business, everything from, you know, coming up with our branding strategy, our brand name, um, and how to, you know, develop, a, you know, huge promotion for our products, you know, in the marketplace. And so it's, my role has been primarily building a good team and bringing on people with experience and vision and and providing the support so that they can they can really move the company forward and, and we've been very successful and we're doing a lot of things that are you know very different right now than than what traditionally aquaculture companies ha have done i think before recently fish farmers uh were told to be good little fish farmers and, and grow really high quality fish and then sell it into distribution and let the adults uh from that point on you know take it and and market it into the the retailers the restaurants and the and the home consumer, and that left a very small piece of the value pie for uh, for the actual you know produce fish producer. And we've just we've decided not to do that at all, uh, but to go and, and actually you know have our own customers and and sell uh, to all of those distribution channels, the the grocery stores, the restaurants, uh, a little less today than a couple of months ago, um, but now also more to the uh, to the household. 
Yeah. And uh, we have a branded and differentiated product that appeals uh, to each of these distribution channels. We feel like we're really in the sweet spot in terms of what the market is looking for um, in the way of fresher, higher quality, safer, uh, sustainably produced and local seafood. Uh, And right right here in the middle of Waterbury, Connecticut. Now, you mentioned, you know, building the team and and bringing James on. And Marilyn and I have discussed in the past how building the team is um, is a bit of a bottleneck for these uh, for these uh, businesses, the land based producers. I I do want to ask James, though, when I. When I would take calls from Eric five years ago, um, it was the Great American Aquaculture Company, if I'm not mistaken. So how did you how did you take uh, Great American Aquaculture into uh, the well-branded ideal fish that we see today, James? And, and be nice. Yeah, no, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good question, Brian. I think I think well, I thought of it from a customer's perspective. And um, I, I think, you know, some of the most successful brands we see today are more sort of uh, condensed and, and uh, tell as much of the story as they can in as few letters as they can. And my, my vision or my view for RAS in general as a community of interest uh, is extremely passionate. And, you know, I was thinking, well, it's going to be hard to go to a customer of great American aquaculture. It sounds kind of scientific. Um, let's come up with a good marketing name. So to me, Ideal Fish really encompasses everything that RAS is, not just us, but other RAS companies. Um, and, and uh, you know, it was a matter of just sitting down and having a piece of paper and just thinking about what is, what is RAS? What does it represent? Where is it going? Where is it now? And uh, the, hence the word ideal, ideal fish popped up. And I was, I was quite shocked and I was very pleasantly surprised that no one had, had captured that name yet. I, I think we had a situation that there was a stubborn uh, company in Germany. Do you remember it? Do you remember, Eric, who owned the name Ideal Fish and they demanded $5,000 or something crazy like that for it. So um, that has its own story attached. But that's, that's really, that's how I came up with the name. Much, much easier to put forward to the customer. Right. And, and just to add to it, Brian, this is Eric again. Um, I think the real insight for James was that, you know, the story around Ideal Fish is that we, we raise Ideal Fish according to lofty ideals. And that's kind of the, the wrapping you know, concept. And our ideals are freshness, safety, quality, environmental sustainability, and traceability. And, uh, and so you know, we always keep these ideals in mind as we develop plans for expanding our production. And whatever we do as a company has to be done consistent with these ideals. So, yeah, that's, that's actually uh, a really good point that uh, James and Eric, that you're making. Uh, as RAS producers, uh, you're not just producing fish, but you're involved in the whole uh, value chain. Um, and you're putting a lot of thought into the marketing and the branding and all those types of things. And those are the regular business challenges that are just, you know, a normal company in a normal situation during normal times would go through. But now we are in a global pandemic. How has this pandemic impacted your business, um, you know, both from from the operation side um, and from the sales and marketing side? Well, this is Eric. I'll pick up the. I'll start this with the operations side, and then I'll, I'll turn it over to James for the sales and marketing side. 
Um, on the operations side, it hasn't been a huge issue for us. We are in the process of ramping, you know, production up, and uh, and so there there have been efforts to, uh, you know, try to spread the fish out a little bit and slow slow fish growth down. But um, we we've not really had to do anything particularly draconian around it. And as James will talk about in just a minute, uh, the one thing we have done operationally is to build out a uh, a team that can fulfill uh, direct to consumer sales, which has been, uh, I think, you know, probably the biggest pivot and reaction that we've made as an organization to the pandemic. So, James, why don't you tell, talk a little bit about what happened to the restaurant industry and how that affected us and, and the thoughts around, um, you know, e-commerce? Thanks, Eric. Uh, thanks, really, for that question. Um, on the food service side, it's just absolute devastation. And, uh, you know, it saddens me to think of, of, of all these restaurants who put blood, sweat and tears in, and, and uh, for many years who, who will not be able to reopen their doors. Um, so, you know, retail, on the other hand, has, has grown tremendously. And the other area that's grown tremendously is the e-commerce side. And it's funny how we have to go through bad situations really to focus on different sectors of the market. And, and certainly that's, that, that, that applies to the e-commerce side. I mean, the statistics that came out are just staggering, the amount of people that are ordering food uh, to be delivered to the home. I think that's going to continue. I think that's going to leave its mark. And I think it's going to continue at a much higher percentage than it did before, before the virus hit us. So there are tremendous opportunities there for us, and we're, we're doing everything we can to capture it. Also, I want to add, and I think this is a really important one, and I think, I think perhaps the most important one. You know, before the virus came along, we, we, people, I don't think a lot of people realized where the majority of our fish was coming from and the large percentage that was being imported. I think the great thing, if there is such a thing, is the great thing that came from this virus is the focus. At last, we have an opportunity uh, because of a bad situation, to focus on domestic production. And I think it's our responsibility as a community to really capitalize on that and, and make a point uh, to tell the consumer, look, there's fantastic fish that's been raised right in your back garden, and to promote that, uh, you know, aggressively. So we've had to pivot. We've had to, you know, retail has grown a lot. Um, um, E-commerce is a very exciting platform for us. And, and you know, through e-commerce, it's, it's, it's really how many products can we offer to the customer? I don't want to get into that just yet, but, but uh, yeah, that's, that, they're my comments on that. And, and I think it's really just this pandemic has, and you've uh, raised an interesting point, it's become a lesson in agility for companies. Yes, this is the challenge, but to be able to, you know, redirect your resources into something that can generate some revenue despite the challenges that are happening. Has it been easier to do the pivoting, like for our for RAS producers like yourself, who's not really doing volume production of the fish, um, as opposed to other bigger producers who may not have the same uh, flexibility just because of the volume. The uh, absolutely, I mean, we're we're at 100 and you know 40, 50 tons of annual production. Our normalized steady state harvest is around 5,500 fish a week. Um, and it's pretty easy to develop um, a, an online uh, direct-to-consumer um, distribution plan where we're driving people to our website and to Amazon uh, to buy our fish and sell 5,500 fish a week. Pretty easy, easy to do that. 
And if we were a 10,000 pound, sorry, 10,000 ton salmon facility producing, you know, uh, somewhere around 400,000 pounds a week, that would be an entirely different story. And uh, I don't think we could rely on uh, DTC uh, sales to do quite that much. Um, So, yes, I think our size, our scale, our selection of species, the fact that we are marketing a specialty fish that's not easy to come by and needs to be purchased in many ways, you know, online, um, have Mm -hmm. very much uh, helped us with that strategy. So, James, I'm pretty sure Eric just said your job was easy now. Something about it's easy to drive traffic yeah. to the website. Well, I, I am curious, James, before you, you uh, elaborate on that, I am one of those people who has taken to ordering uh, food from or online from home and, and primarily going to pick it up and have some things delivered. Um, if I go to the Ideal Fish website, well, can I actually order fish and have it sent here? Goodness me, yes, absolutely, and and uh, you know this this is a new area for us, and where we 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 brought in some experts to help us and advise us as we build out this uh, this initiative. But to answer your question, Brian, yes, and and you can go onto the website right now, and you can order you know uh, fresh whole fish, you can order uh, fillets, you can order uh, whole hot smoked uh, bronzino. And and have them delivered next day. If you, as long as you put your order in by four o'clock, we can we can assure you of a of a next day delivery. So absolutely, yeah, we're we're ready to go. There's still time to order, Brian. There's still time. I, I, I may I may try, I may try to. We were fortunate uh, when uh, our production manager went up to visit with your guys um, that he brought back some smoked product, uh, for everyone to try. And it was outstanding. Uh, we opened up the packs in the lunchroom and, and tried that. So that is a wonderful product. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's great. And I think, I think it's also, you know, it's a situation where, you know, on, on, on Eric's point, because of our size, because we're relatively tiny, you know, it, it's a situation where, well, how can we maximize each fish that comes out of the water? That's where you know we, we brought in the value-added side of the business, and really, if done correctly, if you implement a value-added uh, uh, program within the business, there's no reason for any fish or any pound of fish to to go to go to waste, and that that's very important for a small company like, like us is to is to have that diversity in product selection. Very important. I, I'm curious to know was that part of your market strategy from the beginning, despite the pandemic happening, is that something that you were really planning to implement? Yeah, it was. Right from the beginning, we've, Eric and I have always spoken about e-commerce. What happened was the the very, very quick acceleration of the plan once the virus hit. So yes, it, it's always been on the books. We just we just did it much quicker than, than we, we, uh, we thought we would. To, to respond to the market where the customer was. Right. And that was out of, just, just to add to that, that was out of necessity too, because the restaurant business had pretty much gone away. Right. And uh, we, we also believe that um, one of the enduring uh, after effects of the pandemic will be that people will buy more of their fish on, online. There will be more cooking. This has already been documented in you know, various journal, journals that Americans are now cooking more seafood at home. And they're also buying more of their food uh, online. We expect this to be, um, you know, a major distribution channel for us, um, even after things return to whatever normal is going to be. Right. Could be a, a good opportunity for the RAS sector to 
getting people to understand and um, educate them on what RAS is all about and the, the products that are coming out of them, I think. It's a huge opportunity, Maria, absolutely. And, and, you know, if someone asked me what's our biggest challenge, even today, I would say, I would say it's education. You know, how do we educate the, the consumer all the way to the consumer on the benefits and the importance, more so the importance of RAS? You know, because it's, 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 it's going to be vital. You know, it really is as far as dealing with our food security going forward. Um, and, and, you know, we've responded to that. And, and Eric and I have spoken about this for some time. And, you know, we don't, we don't consider ourselves in competition with, mm -hmm. with other people over here. We consider the RAS as a general community that we're lucky to be part of. You know, Eric and I were saying, well, hey, you know what? If we've got Bronzina, that's great. But why don't, why don't we go and partner with other RAS producers and say, look, we're 88 miles from New York City, the largest market in the world. We're close to Boston. Allow us to take your fish and present it to our supermarket buyers who are already buying our Bronzino and, and to really take the opportunity to push, push RAS as a community. And uh, the response we're receiving, you know, from our initial stages of that have just been extremely positive. That, uh, you know, um, we're not just pushing RAS, we're not just pushing our bronze, you know, we're pushing the high quality, best, best of quality other RAS products. And what I found is, you know, when I've spoken to a lot of these RAS farms, you know, brilliant people, you know, just brilliant people and very scientific, very creative people. They're very good at raising fish. What they're not that good at are selling and marketing the fish. Right. And I think, I think you see that throughout any industry you go to. You get these brilliant companies, these developers who create a software, um, but they fall flat in their face. And the reason they fall flat, because they can't sell and market. And I think that's where we can absolutely step in and help. So, you know, we, we built a strong brand. We built a reputable brand. Uh, people listen to us and we're going to take the opportunity to take other RAS producers with us when we go into the buyer's office. That's very exciting. You mentioned all these great things about Ideal Fish and, and I would have to concur. Lots of great stuff happening there. But what's next? What's the what's the expansion look like or you know, what are you thinking about uh, species, locations? Can you uh, tell our listeners anything about that? I'll start off on that, and James, you can talk a little bit more about species since this is, uh, you know, this is uh, very kind of germane to the decision-making process. And I will say, Brian, one of the things that uh, we really started off doing as an organization, and that you know, I was very focused on in the planning stages, is what what is the right species? Because you know, you can often you know, find a great fish that will grow nicely in a RAS system, and uh, and you can produce a lot of it and it's all great. But the question is, who's going to buy it and how much are they going to pay you for it? And this is a, a really critical aspect that I would encourage any would-be entrepreneur looking to start a RAS business. Start with the product first and understand the market for it and understand what the pricing looks like and develop a channel strategy and figure out what that tells you about how much production you should you'll be able to push through each of these channels at what prices. And we're going through that analysis uh, right now as we think about, you know, the next uh, series of production facilities. And what we're planning to do, and, and, and Brian, in part what I talked about, you know, in uh, one of the subsequent aquaculture innovation workshops, I think it was the one you had in Miami at the end of 2018, is, you know, we're going to build out a number of other production facilities around uh, the Bronzino facility here in Waterbury, Connecticut which will raise, you know, alternative species, ones that are consistent with, you know, being, uh, being first of all, compatible with a RAS system. But second, you know, species unlike tilapia, for example, 
for which we can command a pretty strong price point and where it's a differentiated product. It's not a commodity product. Um, so yes, very much we're planning on expanding. We're, we're not going to build a mega, you know, 10,000 to 90,000 ton facility. We're going to stick with what we know works, which is, you know, bigger than where we are right now, but, you know, probably no more than one or 2,000 tons at a time. And then we're going to, you know, roll out a list of alternative species that um, we can provide and we'll be the only game in town. Uh, here in the Northeast that can offer customers, whether they are restaurants or grocery stores or the at-home shopper, a range of, uh, you know, high-value, very compelling species that you can purchase uh, locally uh, produced by a REST system. So just to just to add on to what Eric is saying, you know, we, we're really not interested in, in becoming a salmon farm. There's some great great salmon wrasse companies out there that we'd rather partner with and, and do it ourselves, but rather we're looking for those niche specialty species that no one else is doing. And they have to be high value and they have to be, uh, you know, we have to be able to raise them on a consistent basis and have the product. So, I mean, the first one that we've been looking at and we're looking at it, you know, we don't want to give up on this one. And I would say the one that comes to the top of the line would be Red Snapper. And, and, that's, and that's, you know, where, where's that come from? Well, that comes from speaking to the chefs. That comes from speaking with the seafood buyers. You know, that comes to comes from listening to the industry. Uh, it comes to look looking at well, what species are declining as as far as sustainability in the wild. You know, and thinking ahead, and and uh, you know what what species are going to be in trouble in six six months or a year or, or what have you, and kind of focusing in on that. But uh, certainly one that's coming out uh, at the top of the list right now is red snapper. So um, and, that's taking and, a lot of time. And there's been work done on snapper already, and we're not going to pick a species that, you know, we would have to develop. Um, snapper is being grown in land-based systems out on the West Coast in one of uh, the Kuna Del Mar operations, Brian, in Maryland. I know you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. um, one of our, uh, one of the members on our advisory board is uh, Dan Benetti, and Dan is uh, developing hatchery capability for red snapper. So, you know, we won't be starting from ground zero with that product. And I think, you know, James is exactly right. This is the feedback we're getting from the food community that they would love to have a nice red snapper. Uh, but there are other things. There's an olive flounder, there's turbot, there's uh, various salmonids. Uh, you know, I think James is right. There are a lot of great quality salmon producers already you know, where we can have availability of high quality wrasse produced salmon. So we probably don't need to go there. Although salmon is a terrific species for wrasse production. And, uh, you know, we're going to probably build out a new, a number of facilities, uh, you know, over time and, and offer different species to our customers. Interesting. Um, have you, have you guys given any thought to Pompano? Love Pompano. We, we don't see as much of it up here, but James, maybe you want to talk about that? Yeah, no, I, I think Joe, I think uh, Joe's going to do a fantastic job down in Florida and, and, uh, um, as Eric just said, it is, it comes down to, it's a regional product. Many more people know about it in Florida and the Southeast than they do up here in the Northeast. So, I mean, that would be one of the deciding factors. You know, I'd much rather work with Joe directly and help him take his fish into, you know, some of the great places up here in the Northeast as opposed to invest the money and actually raise the fish ourselves. So we'd be looking for something that people know. You know, uh, we'd be looking for species that people know up here in the Northeast. Interesting. I, this has been a, a really interesting conversation. I really only have one more question um, before we wrap up. And it, it goes to the expansion plan, uh, Eric. 
And I have to ask because um, as an engineer working in this industry for 30 years, I cannot tell you how many times that somebody has pulled me out of the office and uh, flown me to the middle of the country and said, what about this building? Can we build a fish farm in here? Isn't it perfect? Yeah. And every time I shake my head and I say, no, no, I don't think it'd be a good idea to build a, a fish farm in an existing building. And then you go ahead and you do it. So, <laughs> so my question is, talking about expansion locally there in Connecticut or the uh, Boston metro area, um, would you consider, having done it before, would you consider repurposing another old building? You know, I think uh, we consider it, Brian, but I think your you know, initial instincts on this are, are ones that we've now gravitated to. And that is simply that, you know, uh, when you talk about plunking down the kind of capital required to, to build a correctly uh, designed and, and uh, constructed RAS facility, um, you really shouldn't be limited by whatever constraints an existing building creates. You know, in our case, we were building a you know fairly small facility at 150 tons, 160 tons, and it wasn't hard to design around the you know kind of rectangular box that the building we're in right now you know provided. Um, but when you start talking about building a 1,000, 2,000 ton facility, then you start looking at first of all buildings that are you know considerably bigger, and uh, and and as that happens, uh, the constraints that the existing building will put on the design. Uh, become amplified. So I think the reality is we will find a probably a piece of uh, real estate that may be brownfield, uh, where there has been or is an existing building. But I'm I'm fairly convinced that we will build the suit uh, as opposed to re-renovate an existing building as we expand our operations. Uh, so ex speaking of uh, expansion uh, plans, so with the COVID-19. I'm curious to know what your observations have been, Eric, on um, investor confidence or their outlook on RAS. Um, ha have you seen those perceptions from investors translating into either increased or decreased investor activity in RAS? I think we're certainly seeing an increase in interest. I think if, and, and James alluded to this earlier, I, I think the COVID you know, pandemic, which is, you know, has really exposed the frailty of the seafood supply uh, chain in this country. You know, as soon as the travel embargoes were announced with Europe, uh, salmon, every species coming into this country, whether farmed or wild, came under supply chain pressure. Were it not for the fact that so much of our seafood consumption, you know, is from restaurants and that therefore thereby reduced the demand for seafood, Americans would have found an enormous uh, shortage of high quality fresh seafood available. And this has become extremely apparent in the current environment. And the need for uh, a robust aquaculture industry is basically what I think was the genesis of Trump's, uh, our president's um, executive order, which was released just two weeks ago, saying that the objective of the, uh, the country is to build out a uh, more robust uh, fishery, seafood supply, and aquaculture uh, production system in this country. And that, I believe, was a direct result. The timing of that was a direct result of the uh, observations that you know are indisputable as we maneuver through this uh, difficult period. So, yeah, I think it's going to be good for the industry. I think it'll be good for capital formation. Um, and I think it's going to, to be good for interest in the vision that RAS and the promise that RAS can provide to, uh, to seafood production in this country. I, I have to say, Eric, that you've done all of these things that um, you've kind of fulfilled this promise of how to how to do RAS. You know, you, 
you build it in town, you reuse an old building, you, uh, you're using, uh, you're growing saltwater fish inland, um, all these crazy things. It's, it's amazing what you've been able to do in, in seven years. It's, uh, it's a tribute to you and James and the entire team, and uh, you should be congratulated for that. I want to let our listeners know that if they haven't seen the video of Ideal Fish's construction, um, that they should definitely log online and watch it. Eric, I assume it's still out there? Yeah, it's actually on our YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. So, yep. And so if you go to the Ideal Fish YouTube channel, you can see not only you know the video of our facility being, of the two-year construction of our facility compressed into 90 seconds of time-elapsed video, but you can see recipes from the renowned uh, chef and author Barton Seaver uh, using our fish. And uh, I think there's another video or two in there, some photos of our facility. So the top of our Twitter account, that video, that build-out video is right at the top of our Twitter account too. So that's uh, that's where you can awesome. see it. Also. Well, guys, uh, I want to thank you both, and I uh, really appreciate the conversation today. And I'll turn it back over to Marilyn. Marilyn, it's a, a great podcast episode for us. Uh, I think our listeners will get a lot of great information out of, out of today's episode. Great. So thanks again, guys. Wonderful to have you. And uh, hopefully we can have you all back again in another future episode of Brass Talk. Well, thank you, Marilyn. And, and Brian, of course, thank you for your support and tremendous assistance over the years. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for doing what you do. We, we appreciate it. you biking us on today. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm busy logging on, ordering Ideal Fish Brazil fillets. You got some time. You got a couple of hours, two hours and 11 minutes, Brian. I'm not choosing <laughs> over. I'm not choosing overnight shipping, James. I'm just like. <laughs> okay. Good luck on Thanks, your Brian. order, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. That concludes our episode. For the latest RAS-related news, visit rastechmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation here at Brass Talk.